Uh, good morning. My name is Hojen again. Um, if you're joining us for the first time, we're so grateful that you're here. And this morning, I get to share from God's Word. According to the National Retail Federation, it is estimated that Americans will spend $21.8 billion on Valentine's Day 2021, which is about $165 per person. Um, men, we, we draw the, the short straw. We actually spend over $230 on average, while women spend less than $100. What is shocking about this number is that so many people dislike and even hate Valentine's Day, both single and married people. A Google search for Valentine's Day will produce 572 million results. And then a Google search for why Valentine's Day is the worst will produce 238 million results. Don't ask me why I search for that particular phrase. That is nearly half of the number of the results for Valentine's Day. And in an ironic, just ironic note, one study tracking Facebook relationship statuses found that more, t more couples tend to break up after Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day seems to put romance into this high pressure situation where perfection on so many levels is expected on this one day in a way that it was, romance was never intended to fulfill. Stress, disappointment, and comparison seem to be the common, um, more common than happiness and satisfaction. So we have to ask, how did romance and, um, and when did romance get distorted so much? From the very beginning, marriage was God's idea, and he created it for a specific purpose. But when we expect marriage to do something and produce something that it was never intended to do, we ignore God's design, which leads us to making marriage an idol, and that leaves us ultimately dis disappointed and dissatisfied. Last week, Pastor Danny showed us that we were created for mission, not for marriage. It's not that marriage isn't wonderful. Marriage is truly a great, great uh, gift. It's, it's, it's very wonderful. But it's only wonderful when we see its proper place in our life by remember, remembering the greater purposes in our lives. At its best, marriage should help us fulfill those greater purposes. And as far as I can tell from Scripture, marriage is temporary. There is no indication that our marriages will continue to exist in eternity. For those who profess faith in Jesus Christ, our greater identities are as children of God and citizens of God's kingdom. These are far, far more important than getting married, being married, and even having children. Today we look at a passage that is admittedly not about marriage, but it is a passage that has great implications for our relationships, including our relationships with our significant others or even our aspirations for a significant other. We won't be able to unpack the entire uh, passage, but whether you are single or married, and again, we're using the biblical definition of a single person, which is an unmarried person. That means you dating folks are technically single in God's eyes. My prayer is that today's passage speaks a truth into all of our hearts. So let's read our passage together, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verses 14 to 21, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 to 21. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, 
but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray briefly before we continue. Lord, show us your heart through your word and help us experience your presence and your power. I pray that this morning I would refresh the hearts of the saints like Philemon. And now may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If last week we saw that we were created for mission and not for marriage, then we want to dig deeper at the mission that Pastor Danny pointed out to us. In verse 18, Apostle Paul tells the recipients of this letter, God gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Part of the mission that God gives us is to pursue the ministry of reconciliation. So today we want to see that we were created for ministry not marriage. We were created for ministry, not marriage. From our passage, I want to share three aspects of our ministry that have deep implications for our lives today, deep implications for our relationships. So three aspects of our ministry. In verse 14, we we read, for Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us. That word compel can also mean control or dominate. And Apostle Paul is using it in the most positive sense possible, meaning that the love of Christ moves him. It stirs him up to live in a particular way. And in verse 15, we see a concise summary of the gospel, which is the good news message of Jesus Christ. Christ died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And because of God's great love for us, Jesus Christ died on the cross so that anyone, anyone who places their trust in him, even right now at this moment, if you want to do that, can see that the most abundant life we can have is not in living for ourselves, but in living for Jesus. Living for ourselves leads to separation from God. Living for Jesus leads to eternal and intimate connection with God. The gospel is not a thing to know or believe. It is what deeply moves us and motivates us in all of life, which is the first aspect of ministry we need to see. Our ministry motivation is the love of Christ. Our ministry motivation is the love of Christ. The love of Christ motivates us to pursue our God-given ministry. One Bible scholar, he writes, the love of Christ is no sentimental thing, but his unconditional burden for those lost from God that he expressed in the gift of himself in the sacrificial death for them. 
Jesus did not live for himself. He lived for God and then he died for us so that we might live. And the Bible tells us in passages like Romans 5 that none of us love Jesus first. We were enemies to God apart from the saving work of Jesus through his life, death, and resurrection. And if Christ, if Christ loved us when we were most unlovable and now we enter into a life full of hope, promise, joy, and peace, then everything in our life changes. Our motivations change. When we see that Jesus loves humanity so much that he would die for us so that we might live, it causes us to live very differently. The love of Christ changes the motivations in our hearts. The love of Christ answers for us the why question behind what we do. In marriage, you no longer live for yourself, but you live for your spouse. It's not by force, but by mutual submission to one another. You live for your spouse, not because you have to, but because you want to. Apostle Paul writes in a different letter to the Ephesian believers that marriage is a mystery. It's a mystery. And it somehow reflects the relationship between Jesus and the church. The only way this type of marriage and this type of motivation is possible is through the example of Jesus' love. And this type of living for another person doesn't happen automatically. It doesn't happen accidentally when you get married. It is practiced and grown. It is developed like a muscle. And every married person that you can find, whether at Cornerstone or in your life, can probably attest to the hard work that is required to really live for another person rather than themselves. And if I could be a little blunt to all you single folks, if you are not willing or ready to live for another person, if you're not willing to surrender your preferences, your desires, you might want to reconsider marriage. If you are developing habits right now, living only for yourself as a single person, then don't be surprised by what is likely going to be a very rude awakening when you start dating or get get, get married. A fulfilling marriage is not about my preferences, my expectations, my desires. A fulfilling marriage comes from being deeply motivated by the love of Jesus that loves the other. The love of Jesus has for us, the love that Jesus has for us is what motivates us so that we can live for our spouse. Single folks, do not not wait until you get married to practice selfless love. Don't hold out on Christ-like love. If your ministry is more eternal than your marriage, then love the people in your life today in a way that helps them live for Jesus. More important than any external factor, than the school you graduate from, the grades you receive, the the job or promotion you, you get, the number of zeros in your salary, or even your physical appearance and personality, more important than all of these things is whether you are a person motivated by the love of Jesus. And married folks, today on Valentine's Day, It's a great opportunity to check the pulse of your marriage. In what ways have you been living for yourself more than living for your spouse? Are there areas in your marriage where your wants, preferences, and expectations motivate you more than the love of Jesus? More important than the absence of big fights or the presence of a lot of fun or comfort that you have with your spouse is whether you are a spouse motivated by Jesus' love. And if, Jesus, uh, if the love of Jesus is the motivation for our ministry, how do we start to serve others? How do we 
do this ministry? What does this ministry look like? In verse 16, we read, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. The ESV alternatively reads, We regard no one according to the flesh. A worldly point of view is seeing what is externally visible or making judgments based on human standards. Flesh and the Holy Spirit are often juxtaposed in comparison in, in Paul's letters. So instead of a worldly point of view, it is inferred that we should regard everyone from the Holy Spirit's point of view, which is the second aspect of our ministry. Our ministry method is regarding everyone from the Spirit's point of view. Regard everyone from the Spirit's point of view. Because the love of Jesus motivates us, we see everyone from the point of view of the Holy Spirit. A worldly point of view leads to the wrong conclusions about others and then the wrong treatment of others based on those conclusions. The Spirit's point of view leads us to spiritually accurate conclusions about others and then God-honoring treatment of others based on those conclusions. So when we have spiritual eyes to see beyond the external factors, we start to see every person the way Jesus sees them, as created in the image of God and worth Jesus is dying for on the cross for their sins in order to be reconciled to God. C.S. Lewis in his, his book, which is really a sermon, The Weight of Glory, he writes this, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. It is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. And our charity, that is the way we treat one another, must be real and costly love with deep feeling for the sins, in spite of which we love the sinner. No mere tolerance or indulgence which parodies love. If everyone is precious in the sight of Jesus and has eternal worth, then we must follow through with expressions of Christ-like love for others, and that starts with viewing them in the Spirit's point of view. And in verse 17, we see that if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. For those of us who have placed our trust in Jesus, the new creation has come. I love how that's phrased. They are being made new. They are in this process of God's continual renewal until we see Jesus face to face. And because of Jesus, we experience God's kingdom promises and realities, which are not always visible. Marriage, therefore, is not simply two individuals who like each other, love each other. In God's eyes, marriage is two image bearers of God committing to live for one another, for one another for the rest of their lives. And marriage between two believers is a commitment to see each other the way that Jesus sees them in the ongoing process of God's renewal, specifically becoming more and more like Jesus in pre preparation to spend all of eternity with God. And your spouse, married folks, was not created to make you happy. They were not created to make you happy. Your spouse was created to find their happiness in God through Christ, through the help of the Holy Spirit. One of the books um, on marriage that I recommend the most is Sacred Marriage by Gary Thomas. And in it, he says, the key question, the key question in marriage is this, will we approach marriage from a God-centered view or a man-centered view? 
In a man-centered view, we will maintain our marriage as long as our earthly comforts, desires, and expectations are met. In a God-centered view, we preserve our marriage because it brings glory to God and points a sinful world to a reconciling creator. Marriage is less about our happiness and more about our holiness to God. It's more about eternity. And if Christ's love is the motivation and, and the Spirit's point of view is our method, then our ministry goes beyond marriage. And marriage goes beyond the wedding day, beyond the honeymoon, the anniversaries, and even the chil- children that, that we may have. Marriage points to eternity with God, being with God forever. So single people, pursue your ministry and practice this method of viewing and loving each other, loving others now. Do it today. Sometimes we overly focus on our own Christ-likeness. You know, this is a fall of, of believers to the point where we put other people's Christ-likeness far second. But all of us are called to see that the people in our lives, from the Spirit's point of view, how Jesus might see them as worth dying for on the cross, not very different than you or me. This means the love of Christ should motivate us to help those who don't know Jesus yet to draw near to him and also help believers become more like like Christ. Married folks, husbands and wives, the commitment that you have with your spouse must be seen through the Spirit's point of view. Your spouse will be most fulfilled, most happy in this life when he or she experiences the promises of new creation. Your task is to help your spouse grow their enjoyment of God in this life and help your spouse look and resemble Jesus. Like Pastor Danny shared last week, your spouse is a lifelong missions partner. As a couple, you should be more effective in ministering to to others. As a couple, you can minister to those who don't know Jesus in your extended families, in your neighborhoods, and your workplaces, as well as your spiritual siblings at Cornerstone who need to be built up and encouraged by the unique expressions of Christ's love as a married couple. There's something that you can do in your ministry to the people around you as a married couple that you can't do on your own. The love of Jesus is our motivation in our ministry and the Spirit's point of view is our method in our ministry. But what is the content? What is the goal of this God-given ministry? Let's read verses 18 and 19. God gave us the ministry of reconciliation and God has committed to us the message of reconciliation. The ministry of reconciliation, the message of reconciliation. Reconciliation is the message that we should be sharing and the goal that we should be pursuing, which is the third aspect of our ministry. Our ministry message, message is reconciliation to God. In, in just a, a couple of verses alone in, in our passage, reconciliation, the word, is used five times. And in simplest terms, reconciliation is the end of hostility, the end of broken relationship with God. The outcome of reconciliation is the life-giving relationship that we were always designed to have with Him, a relationship marked by peace and communion with Him. And what is a key part of reconciliation is seen in verse 19, that God was reconciling the world to Himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, not counting people's sins 
against them. That, that word count is an accounting term, calculating the credits and the debits or keeping the score of rights and wrongs. And it's important for us to see, just even pause right now to see that reconciliation is not something that we do. Reconciliation is something that God does. Reconciliation is only possible because God sent Jesus to the world out of love for us. And he provides a way for us to have a meaningful relationship with the one and only true God of the universe. Because of Jesus, the brokenness, the distance between us and God is not counted against us, accounted against you or me. It is miraculously, it is sacrificially removed and restored, but only if we take him up on this invitation to be reconciled to him. In verse 20, we read that we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. The message of reconciliation is how we represent Jesus. The message of reconciliation out of our own mouths, through our actions, is how God will reach people in our lives, explicitly sharing the words that we believe that God would say to them and living in a way that communicates that God loves them so much that he would do anything in, to, to provide, to, to be in a life-changing relationship with them. That through Jesus' sacrificial death, God does not count any sins against them, and God has a remedy for all the brokenness in their life and in the world. Reconciliation leads us to treat others better than they deserve because we've experienced reconciliation from God who treats us better than we deserve. Through the ministry and message of reconciliation, we represent Jesus to those around us. Pastor and author Tony Evans, he writes this, Marriage is one of the greatest ways you can show the difference that Jesus Christ makes. You can reflect the glory of God and the unity of the Trinity through your shared purpose, honor, and love as a true kingdom couple. Married folks, that glory of God can be seen through moments of reconciliation with your spouse, where you actively choose not to count their wrongs against them. You know, the vows that you made on your wedding day, they, were ground, they are grounded in unconditional love, the unconditional love of Jesus. And for us to practice, for us to live out unconditional love, it's only possible by remembering the reconciliation to God that we experience to Jesus. Not just that time when we got saved, but reconciliation that we experience constantly. And by remembering this, we start to experience reconciliation. We start to offer reconciliation to others. And then we represent Christ even to our spouses and even to those outside of our marriages. So the, the questions today is, are, is your marriage full of expressions of reconciliation? Does your marriage bear witness to a God who desires everyone to be reconciled to him? Do you exhibit treating your spouse better than they deserve? Single folks, get busy with representing Jesus today. You don't need to be married to be an ambassador for Jesus. You don't need to have a significant other to share the message of reconciliation to those in your life. In your friendships, in, in your family, family relationships, live out and share the message of reconciliation. Treat those around you better than they deserve. 
your identity as ambassador for Jesus and messenger of God's reconciliation is more important than the identity of being someone else's boyfriend or girlfriend or spouse. In fact, if you want to be married, you should seek out someone with whom you would be excited to represent Jesus in the world. Someone with whom you, would, uh, you can share the message of reconciliation to people who don't believe in Jesus and also believers who might have lost their way. Practice treating others better than they deserve. And if and when you do get married, if you've practiced this, you will become a greater collective witness to who Jesus is showing who God is, who, who Christ is, to a world that desperately needs to see him. And just from this past week alone in, in current events, we see that the Christian witness, who, who or how believers represent Christ is so broken. We need more people who are living out this ministry and message, who are speaking this message of reconciliation. Cornerstone, we were created for ministry, not marriage. And our ministry motivation is the love of Jesus. Our ministry method is regarding everyone from the Spirit's point of view. And our ministry message is reconciliation to God. On this Valentine's Day, whether you are single or married, remember that God sees you primarily as his beloved child created to find your greatest fulfillment in living for him, in, in seeing eternity through everything that you do in this life. You're created for a purpose and you're designed to participate in God's plan, not just for your own personal life, but also for the good of the world. More than being married, you are created for mission and you are created for ministry. Whether you are married now or you will be married in the future, or maybe you don't want to ever get married, prioritize the purposes in your life that will matter for eternity. If you want to be a good spouse, whether in the present or in the future, don't just zero in on, on passages that talk explicitly about marriage. Read the entire Bible and lean into your identity as God's child, Jesus' ambassador. And regardless of your relationship status, may you be a person who finds your greatest joy and satisfaction in being on mission with God and pursuing ministry for God. And if you are married, you get to pursue that mission. You get to do that ministry with someone who is a lifelong partner, someone who will make you into a better disciple of Christ, a better minister of the gospel. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we, on Valentine's Day, we know that expressions of love are going to happen everywhere, even around us and maybe even um, to us. But what we ultimately want to see is the expression of love that you show us through your one and only Son, your precious Son, Jesus Christ. That when we see that love, that, that generous love, that sacrificial love, that we would respond appropriately. And when we respond appropriately, it matters in the eternal sense that we were made for mission. We were made for ministry, but also at the ground level too, in the relationships that we have. And we in particular want to pray over the romantic relationships at our church. Everyone who 
is dating, everyone who might be engaged, everyone who is married, that we would pursue romantic relationships in light of Christ's love, that that would be our motivation, that we would start see one another, whether we're single or married, we would really start to see one another from the Spirit's point of view, and that we would also understand that any romantic relationship falls under the umbrella of representing you in the world more than our happiness, more than um, our preferences, is to bring glory to you and make you known. So strengthen my sisters and brothers today that they would not lose sight of that, that on this Valentine's Day, that your love would take all the attention, that it would shine brightly in and through us. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.